on me and working on me about the cross. And that's what I want to talk to you today about. We want to, we want to fast forward to Friday. And we want to talk about this coming Friday and what that means to us. I think it's so important the day and age we live in that the cross doesn't lose its value. It's become almost a novelty. And I'm not against the cross hanging on our walls, our necks. All that, that's all great. But I pray that we never let it lose. It's, it's, it's what it is, what it means to us. What really sparked all this was probably about a month ago. I, I was talking with a gentleman, a, a believer, having a con- great conversation about God, about church. And, and he brought up the fact that he goes, you know, I was talking to these other people the other day, and, and they believe, you know. And um, he's like, they, they, don't, they don't even, they don't, they, they don't like the cross around. They don't like to see the cross. They don't want to be reminded of the cross. They don't want nothing. They, it's like, why? He's like, you know, I started thinking about it. He said, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's kind of right. You know, the, all the, the pain, the blood, the, 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 the agony and all that. He said, why do we? And that, man, that just sparked something in me. I was like, all right, hang on a second. And so that's what we're talking about today. And I want to talk about Good Friday. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two sections of the word of God Matthew chapter 27 and Colossians chapter 2 the first we're going to read the account of the death of Jesus on the cross in Matthew chapter 27 and then we're going to go to to Colossians chapter 2 we're going to see the impact of the cross in Colossians chapter 2 because what's interesting about Good Friday and I don't know if you ever sat down and really thought about Good Friday how it's really bad Friday but you know we say Good Friday and just if you really think about it, it should stir up a lot of emotions inside of us. Because what is Good Friday? Well, it's the death, remembering the death of Jesus. And it's celebrating the outcome of it, that it was God's sovereign plan. And so there's where the conflict kind of comes in, into play with you and I, is, is if you think about it, Our sin in a broken world is why God had to die. But at the same time, we're rejoicing in the fact that God loved us so much that Jesus was willing to die. And so see the struggle, see the conflict, that we should be broken because our sins were so bad that Jesus had to die for us. But we should be rejoicing because we're so loved that Jesus gladly died for us. And so, man, it makes your head spin if you think about it too hard. Good Friday. It was the worst thing in history that ever happened that had to be done to be able to save us. But that we were so greatly loved and prized and valued by God that He was willing and even glad, Scripture says, to go to the cross. The Bible says, for the joy set before Him. And so the two passages one story, you've heard it before. The second is the outcome of the results of the cross. So let's start with Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 to 56. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook, the rocks were split, the tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who fell asleep were raised, raised. 53, and coming out of the tombs after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. 
When the centurion and those were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and walked to a place, what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was a son of God. There's so many, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is where everything changed. Why did everything change? The cross. That old rugged cross that is sung about. If you get one thing I said this morning, the cross is when everything changed. The moment when Jesus cried out in a loud voice, gave up his spirit, the moment when the curtain was torn, the veil was torn from top to bottom, the earth shook, the rocks split. Surely this is the Son of God. That's the event. That's when everything changed. And now let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all our sins. Look at 14. I love this. He canceled the record of the charges against us. Come on. Now listen, this is a fiery message, so I need you fired up this morning. Because this is good stuff for you and I. This should excite you. Verse 14, he canceled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them. Hold on to this verse because we're going to come back to it all throughout this message. But I want you to hold on to that last part. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. The cross is a moment when everything changed for you and I. I want to show you three ways this is true. The first thing is your past has changed. Our past has changed because of the cross. It's almost like, you know, the, the tri time travel movies? Probably like, which one? Well, they're all the same, aren't they? I mean, let's be honest. They rush to get something changed in the past. When they get to the future, it's fixed, right? There's this ripple effect. All the photos change. It's like back to the future. You've ever seen it? The photos start to change because of what happened in the past. So this impact of the cross as we believe it today, what happens was your faith intersected with what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, and our past was changed. The picture starts changing. The outcome starts changing. Why? Because you touched your faith with him, and your past has changed. What does this mean? It means that Jesus' payment was accepted on behalf of your sins. His payment for your sins. That's what Matthew is telling us. This was such a colossal event that the shaking of the ground, it, it, it's almost like the fabric of all the beings was being altered as Jesus hung on the cross. The Bible says in Isaiah 53 that all your sins were laid upon him. So get the picture. That old rugged cross. Jesus hanging on there. Hadn't did anything wrong was dying 
Yet he didn't do anything that was worth dying for. Because he didn't do anything wrong. And there's no confusion about who killed him, is there? I mean, there's a big push from the Jews to get it done. Pilate wanted to wash his hands of it. So who do we hold responsible for Jesus' death? I mean, he prayed, Father, forgive them, didn't he? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Who is he praying that for? Who killed Jesus? Whose fault was it? Well, I mean, it was the Romans, right? It was Pilate, the Jewish leaders. Here's what you don't want to hear is you. It was me. We killed Jesus. It was my sin that caused Christ to come and hang on the cross. He paid for our sins. That moment when you believe in Jesus, his payment was made. His resource, his blood money, this righteous, innocent man who was also God dying the moment you believed, your past is completely altered. So today, if you trust in Jesus, your past is different than it was while you're doing the deeds of your life. You've been forgiven. That's what Colossians is saying. It's saying, as he died, he forgave us of all our sins. How? How did he do this? He canceled our note of indebtedness. Our texts read in the NIV version, it says, He canceled the written code. This is awesome. He canceled, okay, what is the written code? What's the code we're talking about? Well, it consists of two things. The first thing is our code of conscience, right? I mean, it tells us we're aware of the wrong we're doing. I mean, if you think of it, all of us, deep down inside of our hearts, we know when we've sinned. All of us know when we need to do better. All of us have hurt people. All of us have lied to people. All of us have done wrong. Those things we know inside to be wrong, our conscience tells us, right? That's a written code. The second written code is God's Word. God's spoken through His Word. He specifically in the Old Testament revealed the other thou shalt not, right? We know this, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not commit adultery. All these things he codified. And because of these things, not only because of our conscience, because of Scripture, sin's been revealed. And we know through Scripture it says the wages of sin is death. The Bible says a soul that sins must die. No way around it. So as Christ hung there, he was doing so because of your bill, because of my bill. The Bible says, as he died, the moment he breathed his last breath, the Bible says he did so on a cross. And on that cross, he had a bill of indebtedness nailed to it, a written code nailed to it. The cool thing about it, in the Greek, in the Greek that means what the, what the word they use there, what it means, it means a handwritten IOU is what it's saying. A handwritten IOU is nailed to the cross. That's like when, when if I, I need to borrow money from you. You can say, you sure I'll loan you? I, it's more than a handshake. Maybe I write it down. I borrowed, you know, this amount of money by, to you on this day. And I agree to pay it, maybe in payments, one lump sum, whatever. And I give you this handwritten note. When I do that, you have leverage over me now. 
You could sue me, take me to court, whatever, if I don't pay my bill. The Bible says we, we all have this bill, this IOU, this indebtedness to God. All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. All of us are separated. That's what sin does in the world. However, God is so good, He has this plan to redeem us. And it's made possible of what He did on the cross, that old rugged cross. He died. He took that IOU you had. He nailed it to the top of the cross. Because that's true, verse 14, another translation says, He has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads. He annulled it. He he, he nailed it over his head on the cross. Because those things we've done cause us to fall short. He was willing to have it nailed above us. That's what the cross means to us. That's what happened on Good Friday. It means this, he didn't just die for you. He died as though he was you before God's sight. That's why the Bible says God turned his face away from the sun. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he was being treated like you and I deserve to be treated. So God could treat us like Jesus deserves to be treated. The past completely changed, completely altered because of the cross. Everything about your whole life up to this point has been altered. And God can't even see the past anymore. He can't see the things he's done. Why? Because he sees the cross. He sees what happens on that Good Friday. When he sees the cross, he only sees his son Jesus. I mean, he sees us. That's what Romans 8.33 says is this way. Who then can bring a charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So now when he looks at us, all he sees is his son. Adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. That's what happened on the cross that day. We can't understand this kind of love. We can't explain this kind of love. But what we can do, we can accept this kind of love. We can lean into this kind of love. We can be completely transformed by this kind of love. What he did for us on the cross. There was a permanence to what he did for us on the cross. So this fear of, of, oh, he's going to judge me. Oh, is he mad at me? Oh, does he love me? That's the, the trick of the enemy. The cross dismisses all that. The Bible says he's chosen to delete your sin like it's never happened before. Think of it this way. If you and I could just go to church, read our Bibles, and do better, why in the world would God ever allow his son to die? I mean, think about it. When Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass before me. Don't you think the Father said, you know what? Let's just tell him to try harder. It doesn't work that way. That's why there had to be the cross. That's the only way, no matter how good you are, no matter if you're a saint, it doesn't matter if it wasn't for the cross. 
That's the only way we're getting to heaven. There's no other way to be saved. That's why God's willing to send Jesus. That's why Jesus, for the joy set before him, was willing to die on the cross. The gospel and what happened on the cross is not about bad people becoming good. It's about dead coming to life. Dead people come. That's what the cross is about. It's about that the dead people come to life after the author of life was willing to die. After Jesus was willing to breathe life into us. Kind of what's going on in our world today, there's a shortness of breath, and Jesus knows exactly what that was like. Because if you read out the, the death of Christ, we understand it wasn't the nail wounds that killed him. It wasn't the whips on his back that killed him. It wasn't the crown of thorns. It wasn't the blows to his face. In fact, it was death by suffocation that killed him. Think about it. Is Jesus hanging on the cross by the nails, his hands and his feet, the gaping womb in his chest, his normal functions of pectoral muscles and the diaphragm, it just was severely impinged. And so he couldn't breathe. And so what you would do when you're hanging on the cross, the nails in your feet and the nails in your hand, you're sunken down. To get a breath, what you'd have to do is push your back up against the cross. Remind you, he took as many lashings as a person can take without dying. So his back is shredded. With pressure applied against the back, against the wood, push yourself up. Think about the excruciating pain and just that alone. And then when you finally push yourself up, you take a deep breath and then you clasp back down. That's what's happening on the cross. And doing this over and over again, eventually leading to, to cardiovascular distress. And he dies of suffocation. It was an issue of breathing. Literally suffocated death on our behalf. You guys remember that the height of COVID as a nation, as a world, we were trying to get ventilators, right? Desperate for ventilators to the hospital. What are ventilators? They breathe for people who can't breathe for themselves. That was the cross. Breathing for those of us who couldn't breathe for ourselves. Jesus was our ventilator. He came into our ICU and was willing to die a death of suffocation so we could breathe again. That's the first thing he did when he rose again from the dead. He appeared to his disciples and he breathed on them. His act of sacrificial love was putting air in our lungs had been knocked out by the fall of man. Come on, somebody. This is good, even though you're not acting like it. This is good. 
Christ died to put air in our lungs. We never need to fear death again. We never need to fear no matter what comes against us because the worst thing that could have happened has been sorted out. Your sins have been given. Your past has changed. That's because of the cross, that old rugged cross. That's because of Good Friday. The second thing that changed is our future has changed. Our, not only our past, but our future has changed completely. In fact, our text speaks of this resurrection power and is hinted to, hinted to as this idea of life in you. What is this? We're talking about the resurrection. His action of dying on a cross was a first in a series of dominoes that will continue to be knocked over for eternity. His coming up from the grave in the same body he went to the grave in was so important. Why? Because he didn't just have a spiritual resur resurrection. He, he wasn't a ghost. In fact, if you read out, if you remember the story, when, when he came back to the disciples, he's like, give me some food. You want to see that I'm not a ghost? Let me eat. I'm hungry. Give me some food. He ate in front of them. He said, touch me. See that I have bones. See that I'm not a ghost. I, ghosts don't have bones. I mean, why was he almost being creepy? Like, hey, hey, come on. Come on. Touch me. Touch me. Touch me. They're like, okay. Why? Because he wanted him to see. He was the same but different. Same body but different. He came out of the body physically. Our existence is going to be for all eternity a spiritual one, yes, but also a physical one. Some of you, that's not going to be good news, but the same bodies we live in right now, we're going to live in for eternity. Of course, they won't be hurting, they won't be aching, they won't be creaking, they won't be popping, they'll be all better. But what is this? This is part of him bringing everything, reconciling everything to himself because of the power of the cross. So if when he died, all was restored, all was right, all creation reconciled unto him. Why, doesn't, why haven't things changed? Doesn't seem like he did a very good job in our world, has he? But here's what we got to understand in this, in this process. If, okay, Pastor, you're saying he died on the cross, so everything was reconciled, everything is new, everything has changed. But it's not. So what are we talking about here? This is what theologians refer to as a already but not yet. I know it's a very technical term. Already but not yet, right? So we're living in the already in what we needed to be settled and taken care of. Everything, everything has, has to be reset. Everything that needed to happen has happened and is secured. Okay, if everything is ready to be reset, why hasn't he allowed that last domino to... Why hasn't he pushed the button? Let's just reset Here's a beautiful thing, because he's patient. He's loving. He wants as many as can to be saved before he resets. If he were to do it right now, if he were to hit the button and cause all the reset to happen, all those who don't believe in him would be instantly entered into a, a Christless eternity. We understand his hell. And so... 
he continues to unfold his grace. He continues to unfold his love so that many will put their faith in him. So that's why I'm saying it's already but not yet. It's already been accomplished, but he's, 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 he's given us some time. That's why we don't see the perfect world. That's why we don't, because he hasn't hit the button yet. I mean, how cool would it be if one of those red staple buttons, he's got up in heaven, he's like, all right, don't, don't, I'm ready, you know. And when that all takes place, when a grand reset of things is actually executed, and we're talking about him coming back, we're talking about the resur- we're talking about the Lord coming back. He has all the authority, all the power, because why? Because he paid for it on the cross. So he's able to take the scrolls. He's able to do so because he laid his life down. He's able to open the seals. You get in the book of Revelation. This is all in there, book of Revelation, the seals. All the prophecies from Isaiah about the trees clapping their hands, the mountain singings. Because of the cross, there's life after death for our future, right? Let's talk about that one second. I'm going to get deep here, so just hang with me. I promise I'll get out of it quick. So there's life after death. And we're talking about heaven. And the heaven we know of right now, the heaven that the Bible speaks, it really speaks little of heaven right now. There's almost no information about life after death. You're like, hang on a second, Pastor. You said the trees are clapping and the mountains are singing. I did, but that's, that's not life after death. That's life after life after death. Now, stick with me. I know, I know. It's getting crazy. But we're two different things. There's life after death. There's life after life after death. If I got everyone confused, raise your hand. Okay. We're all on the same page. Let me get, so what the Bible says is that when we die right now, we're Jesus. We're Jesus. We're in paradise. I mean, sounds like a pretty good gig, right? I mean, I'm, I'm down. I'm in. When that happens, you know, that's life after death. But the Bible says also, just so you know, that there's life after life after death, which is to say the resurrection, which is to say the lion laying down with the lamb which is to say the whole world getting a renewed version of itself. Not a different world, the world as we, as we want it to be, as he meant it to be, the world without sin, without defile. That's when Jesus comes back. That's when he returns for everyone. That's when we're going to heaven. All of us. That's when the new world, that's when the reset button hits right there. The world that's meant to be. Jesus and the cross. That's when we get the extreme makeover. Our bodies are new. Philippians 3.21 says, He will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. So our fear of death should be dissolved basically into nothingness. Why? Because He's already defeated it for us. Jesus did it. He stared it down. In fact, this is what many people believe that David was talking about when he's talking about the shadow, uh, the valley of the shadow of death in Psalms 23, verse 4. I feel not, uh, you know the verse, I will fear, not fear though, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death for your rod and your staff comfort me. Many people think David's talking about the Passover 
And talk about Exodus and Moses. When Moses parted the Red Sea with his staff, he demonstrated you know, the power of God through that. And also the tenderness of Moses using the shepherd's staff that they would know to follow him on dry land. David's saying what you should be able to say confidently today that my life is in God's hands. That we're not going to fear death because we know we're going to die. But Jesus is going to stand there with his rod and death is going to have to part. He's going to stand there with a shepherd's staff. He's going to show you the way through the valley of shadow of death. You will not be touched. Why? Because he's already touched it for you. He already touched death for you and I. So as we approach, it gives us the greatest comfort that we trust in God. Our future is secure. When you breathe your last breath, you don't have to be afraid. Why? Because death can't touch you. Because it touched him. So what will touch you? Well, maybe just a shadow. You're like, that sounds pretty bad. Well, think of it this way. Would you dare to be touched by a car or by a car shadow? F.B. Meyer put it this way. I love how he put it in this quote. I have it for you this morning, um, I believe. Let me just read it to you then. Oh, there it is. All right. Christ met the substance, so we just encountered the shadow. The monster is now deprived of teeth and claws. The wasp stunned a good shepherd to death and has left the stinger fixed in that cross where he died. Oh, death, where is your sting? Come on, that's it. We're not to be afraid. That's our future. Our future is we die right now. Guess what? We're going to heaven. If we don't die, he's going to come back. He's going to take us all. That's our future. That's the way he did on the cross. Our past was secured. Our future was secured because of what was done on the old rugged cross that good Friday. I want the worship team to come on up. I need to stop. Here's the third thing. I'll get to the third thing, the third and final thing. So our past was completely changed because of work on the cross. Our future was completely changed because of the work on the cross. And that leads us to number three. Our presence was completely changed because of the work on the cross. Think about it. If he just wanted just to save us and get us to heaven, if he wanted just to save us and get us out of our sins, he could, he could have sent us to heaven, loaded up a big bus, and let's go, right? But for some reason, he spared us for something. There are many things that we could take, taken out, and you have no ideas many times when you could have been taken out. You know, Lord, spare you, a guardian angel, maybe something spared you. All of us say you're alive today. If there's breath in your lungs today, if you believe in Jesus today, he has a purpose for you on this earth. He has a plan for you. What am I trying to say? I'm, I'm trying to say everything shifted when Jesus died on the cross with regards to your presence, present. Because now, now he has a plan to use you. Now he has a plan for you to love. Now he has a plan for you to impact the kinds of people, all kinds of people before you go home. He has a plan for your life. That's what the text we're reading in Matthew chapter, Matthew, that says the veil was torn. It wasn't from the bottom to the top. It was from the top to the bottom. As Jesus was saying, I've made a way for you. I've made a way to invite you into my presence. And the reason I think that's key is that you remember that you're present right now because his plan for you is to use you, to bless you, to bless others through you. 
That's a lot, isn't it? But it's okay because why? Because we have access to God in our times of need, don't we? That's what the cross has done for us. We're in times like we've never seen before in our country. What that means is we have opportunities to reach out, opportunities to show love, opportunities to get behind the kingdom of God coming to earth. That's you and I. 2 Corinthians 5, Paul puts it this way, 17 and 18. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is, is gone. A new life has begun. Verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And look at the last part. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. We've got a job to do. That's our present because of the cross. He has entrusted you and I with this job, with this responsibility. You've been born and chosen for such a moment as this. It's not an accident of all the generations you'd be born right now. It's not a mistake that we're living in these historic times. It's for us to let everyone know there's a fresh life. There's forgiveness. There's peace. There's a relationship with God that can change everything. God did all that on the cross. But delivery of the news is our jobs, our responsibility. It's a heavy responsibility, but we got to remember we got access. Why? Because there's no veil. The veil's been torn. We don't have to show up one day of year, Yom Kippur. We don't have to worry about tradition. We don't have to worry about something like circumcision to save us. It's not an outward thing. It's an inward thing. Come on. We get to rush into the veil. Why? Because there's no veil. We get to rush in and say, Dad, I need some help. Dad, I need your strength. Dad, I need your power. Why? Because of the work on the cross. Send me to my neighborhood. Whatever it is you're called to do, express in love. It's our job to articulate to a dying, broken world that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago where the enemy thought he won. Come on. Here's the exciting part. The enemy at the cross thought Jesus was their prisoner. Turns out the forces of darkness took the life of the Prince of Light and they actually become his prisoners. When he was killed through the action, he disarmed the principalities of power. He made a public spectacle. Remember what, what Paul was saying? He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them at the cross. Every commentary I've read on this passage, they all agree that Paul is explicitly referring to a tradition in the Roman Empire. When, Jesus, when Paul referenced that. And what the tradition was, as we know under the Roman Empire, if a general went to a far off providence and won a big battle, they would come back to the mothership, right? And they'd give them a huge parade. They'd give them a huge victory parade and they're all yelling, Maximus, Maximus. No, that's not it, that's a wrong movie. But they would give them a huge parade, right? And so this was the tradition that they would come back, the people would be cheering, soldiers would be marching, the soldiers would lead them in, and the general would follow behind in a chariot. Here's the cool thing, watch this tradition, right? Tradition was, he'd be coming down in the general in his chariot, and behind him, all the prisoners of war were defeated. 
all the generals he defeated in battle, they'd be chained to the wheels of the chariots. And he would come and everybody would be screaming, everybody would give him adulations, basically saying, you're the best, you're the conqueror, you've overcome. Look at it. Paul's saying this is what happened in the corridors of hell when Jesus died. Come on, this, this doesn't fire up. Something's wrong. He's saying the devil and all the forces of darkness thought they won. This was their moment. This is what they thought they could do. They could take the life of Jesus and he could save us from our sins. But this was a strategy all along. He came into hell. He showed up with power. He showed up with glory. He showed up with triumph. He showed up with shackles for the darkness and forces that are behind him. He showed up to prison them in their own homeland. That's what he did for you and I. He made a spectacle of them dragging them through the streets of heaven saying, look what we've done. All the angels, all the saints in paradise were rejoicing, shouting of the triumph. The enemy thought Jesus would be his prisoner. They had no idea. They served them the circumstances under which they'd become prisoners for him. Here's what we have in Colossians. At the moment Jesus died, everything changed. Why? Because he broke the cold that was hanging over our lives, keeping us separated from God. The cold that and the written law, everything done wrong we've done in our lives. And because Jesus paid it all, we see God. We're no longer at war with God. We have forgiveness. We have wholeness. We stand on our tiptoes waiting for a renewal of all times. And in the meantime, we're being sent to the broken world with the message of Jesus. That's what Good Friday means. That's what the cross means. It means our past has been changed. It means our future has been changed. It means our presence has been changed. All because of the work on the cross. Won't you stand with us this morning? Oh, the work on the cross. I don't know what you walked in here with this morning. You might be religious. You might know about some Bible stuff, but you don't have a relationship with God. So much happened on the cross. If that is an example of how much He loves you, I don't know what is. Some of you, you know religion. You've been born in religion. You've attended church. That's all it would have taken. The cross wouldn't be necessary. Good Friday is there to tell you that's not enough. You need a relationship with Him. You have this debt. You have an IOU that, man, I screwed up. I did this. I've done this. I did this. You have all this. and You've got this written code. What Calvary says is when you give that code to him, he nails it on a cross. As soon as he nails it on the cross, God looks at you and says, hey, how's it going, my son, my daughter? All the wrong, all the mistakes, all the choices, 
completely. That's the past. And then the future that we're going to see him again. In the present. This morning. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, Lord God, I, I pray. God, I pray that you grab hold of some hearts this morning. Lord, I pray that anyone in here does not have a relationship with you, this morning they would start. This morning they recognize all that you've done on the cross and they accept their need for a Savior. Lord, I pray that they'd accept that their past can be forgiven. I pray that they would accept that the heaven is for them. C.S. Lewis once said that it's hardly complimentary to God that we should choose Him as an alternative to hell, yet He accepts that. This morning, if you're in here, you don't know Jesus. I want to ask that you take one giant step and come forward and make it a place at this altar. We want to pray with you. We want you to accept that all that He's done on the cross. Oh, <laughs> I could talk for days about what he's done on the cross. All that just to show you how much he loves for you. All that he even knows the choices that you've made and he still went to the cross for you. This morning, you can have your past erased. You take a giant step of faith and say, I need the Lord. I need a relationship. When I ask you to come, I guarantee you, you won't be alone. People will pray with you and pray for you. You say, Pastor, I just been, I've been playing religion. I come out of, out of a respect to my spouse, my mom, or my grandma. I come so I don't get the phone call on Monday. But now's your chance. Now's your chance. Go for the heart. Give your heart. Give it to Him this morning. I ask that you join us around this altar. I know there's some in here this morning. You say, yes, my past is secure. Yes, my future is secure. You haven't been living in the present, though. You haven't been taking this assignment of spreading the good news. You have not taken that to heart. You have not been sharing your testimony. You have not been sharing what, what, what he's done on the cross. Today is a day. I would like you to make a commitment. Lord, I'm going to share. Lord, I'm going to take my responsibility. I'm going to take my present. You have me here for this time, at this place, for a reason. I want to take it serious. Would you join us? Would you recommit to him this morning? That I'm going to take my assignment seriously. Lord, I'm going to be yours. I'm going to use of you. Lord, use me. If you're willing to say that, would you come down front? Would you join us in prayer? If you're here this morning and you need prayer, we want to pray with you. Open up these altars. If you need prayer, please come. We'd love to pray with you, pray over you. There's three altar calls this morning. One, if you'd like to invite the Lord in your heart, if you'd like to be serious with your relationship, won't you come make the altar tonight? And two, if you'd like to get serious about sharing the good news of the gospel, come, 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 and make a commitment. I'm going to be serious. And three, if you'd like prayer, would you come? Altars are open. Would you come? Would you come this morning? Join us. I need some prayer warriors. Can I get some people who know how to pray? Come help us pray this morning. Come join us.
you that as we approach Good Friday, God, we're just challenged by what you did on the cross. God, I pray that this Good Friday we share what it means. We share with someone how because of the cross, our past was changed. Because of the cross, our future has been changed. Because of the cross, our present is changed. Lord God, we share with somebody the good news of Good Friday and how amazing the work of the cross is for us today. In precious holy name we pray. Amen, amen. The Lord bless you.